Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today as we worship and fellowship together. To find out more about Waterbrook, go to www.waterbrook.church. Isn't it great that uh, in my great wisdom, we came to a text on Thanksgiving weekend that was all about giving thanks? (laughs) As you know, uh, I had no idea where we'd be (laughs) at this point in time. But it's a a very helpful passage of Scripture. And let me just um, begin um, with uh, real sincerity to say how thankful I am for all of you um, on Thanksgiving weekend to think that I and Marianne have the privilege of serving alongside you, uh, to walk with you, and sometimes in some of the most difficult times of life, the ups and downs, and to be family together. Um, I can't convey uh, with any degree of clarity that I want to just how grateful I am for all of you. And uh, thankful for the staff, thankful for John, uh, thankful for Gabe, Um, really thankful for Allison and Karen and all of you who are involved in ministry. Just, um, I often feel like I have the easiest job. Um, but uh, it is a humble privilege for me to do this. And uh, one of the things that I'm trying to do pastorally uh, for all of us is, by the grace of God, to create the kind of community where we actually do care for each other, Um, that we actually love each other, that we actually see each other. We're not good at that. Uh, Culturally, we're not good at that. Uh, Individually, there's a propensity for us to kind of turn inward or turn away from one another. And that's why last week the text was important because as we saw Jesus telling his disciples they had to forgive <laughs> because they were forgiven. And forgiveness creates an atmosphere of forgiving. Uh, that's one of the things we want um, for Waterbrook is that when you come to worship, when we invite people to worship, when someone has the audacity to come to church and be with God's people on the Lord's day in worship, and they're feeling, feeling the weight of sin, or they're feeling the weight of their unworthiness, what would go through their mind after a period of time is, I want to be at Waterbrook. I want to be with a group of people who really do forgive, who knows what it means to be forgiven, and knows what it means to be loved. And that's the prayer. That's what Jesus is saying. We need to create a culture of forgiveness in the church. That's what the gospel does. And then what Jesus is going to do in this text of Scripture is he's going to also teach that we need to create, by the grace of God, in the power of the Spirit, in response to Jesus, an atmosphere of gratitude. And I want to say that collectively, that as Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees and scribes who have the disease inherent to Israel... Israel throughout the Old Testament constantly grumbled. Their idolatry, Paul remarks in 1 Corinthians, resulted in complaining. Jesus has just said in previous chapters, the Pharisees and the scribes were lovers of money. And as they sought other gods, they became grumpy and complaining, and they did not delight to see Jesus gathering around him tax collectors and sinners. And I want to put it to you that it is one of the diseases of the culture. It's the air we uh, breathe. It's the world in which we live that we complain. 
and we grumble, and gratitude is not the air we breathe. It's not the atmosphere that we cultivate. And the gospel should create a grateful community. Now the reason why we need to be grateful is not simply because Jesus is worthy. It's certainly that. But it's beyond the worthiness of Jesus in receiving our gratitude. Jesus deserves the nations to stream to Him. He deserves our neighbors to know Him and worship Him. And gratitude is the soil, is the atmosphere that people come to hear and realize the reality of the Gospel. That's what's being taught in this text of Scripture. Jesus asks a pointed question. Where are the nine? Ten were healed. Where are the nine? And we need to hear that this morning. Listen to one commentator. He says, it's not only the nine ex-lepers who are shown up. It's all of us who fail to thank God always and for everything. As Paul puts it in Ephesians 5.20. We know with our heads, if we have any Christian faith at all, that our God is the giver of all things. Every mouthful of food we take, every breath of air we inhale, every note of music we hear, every smile on the face of a friend, a child, a spouse, all that, and a million things more are good gifts from His generosity. Isn't that true? What do we deserve? And what have we been granted? Grace upon grace and mercy upon mercy. And, and we ought to be a people. We, we look in this text and we realize that gratitude is crucial, but it's not just crucial for us to rescue us. It's crucial for our neighbor. It's crucial for loving those around us. It's crucial for honoring Jesus Christ. There's all kinds of secular research, studies on how gratitude changes you and shapes you. Uh, University of Indiana has multiple studies studying brains that if you they had, they did an experiment at one point in time that if you wrote they had people write uh, thank you cards every day for three months and they studied their the makeup of their brains and what they discovered is that your brain your brain functionally changes it it rewires itself so that you experience more gratitude and you become more capable more creative in your expressions of gratitude if you just practice it. Now, there are lots of benefits to being grateful. But the benefit most of all is the advancement of the kingdom of God. That other people would know Jesus and love Jesus and experience Jesus. And so here as we come to this text of Scripture, what I want us to see is gratitude ought to be, like forgiveness, the culture, it ought to be the atmosphere out of which we as disciples of Christ live our lives and fulfill our mission together. So can I ask you this morning, if you would just stop and ask Jesus the question, am I one of the nine? Have I stopped being grateful? Have I not cultivated an atmosphere an attitude of gratitude. And would we pray together, Jesus, help me. Would you change me in this way? And I'll, I pray this over my life today, and I pray that you will do this as well this morning. 
So, are you one of the nine? That's the challenge. That's what Jesus, when Jesus asks that question, doesn't it hit you? Where are the nine? Only one has come back to say thank you. So, why do we need an atmosphere of gratitude? Let me give you the first one. Gospel gratitude fosters an environment of expectancy. It fosters an environment of expectancy. Look at this text and how it begins. On the way to Jerusalem, Luke 17, 11, on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voice saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, I want you to notice two things. Notice the very first phrase here. Where is Jesus going? On his way to Jerusalem. And Luke wants you to see this all the way. Jesus is fixed on Calvary. He is fixated on the cross. He is not turning. He is not wavering. That alone should cause us to be grateful. That Here we see that Jesus is on a mission of grace to come and deal with our guilt, to come and deal with our sin, to take that burden on himself, to treat us not as we deserve. Aren't you glad for that? He was on his way to Jerusalem. But on his way to Jerusalem, he went somewhere along the way. He went to a community, let's say a tent city, between Galilee and Samaria, where there was a, if you want to call it a leopard colony, This is not accidental. He is going there intentionally. And as Jesus comes, what do the ten lepers who stand at a distance together in their community cry out to Jesus? They cry out to Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Oh, Master, have mercy on us honest master that he loves those prayers he's going there because he is on a mission of grace which is to go to the cross but he is on a mission of mercy because the cross the sin that the cross will deal with has caused widespread calamity and misery on earth and he cares about that he cares deeply about that thank god jesus has come to a community of of lepers who are, who are in a community, they have been exiled. They stand back. That's what's going on. They've been exiled. And it's interesting, it's a multi-ethnic leper colony, which means they're very different. Jews and Samaritans were enemies, would avoid each other, but something has happened to them that has made them come together. And it is their common misery on account of the curse, on account of leprosy. And so, in this text of Scripture, we are taught this. The mission of Jesus is to bring lepers back from the exile. That's what he's coming to do. That's why he's going to the cross. He's come to do that physically here, and he's coming to do that spiritually. He's coming to save and bring exiles back from the misery of being exi- uh, uh, the lepers from, from exile. And so Jesus positions himself as he's going along in order that he might address the misery of the lepers. Jesus, have mercy on us. Listen to the condition of these lepers. They are cut off 
and forced to keep their distance. Even when Jesus comes, they call out from what? A distance. Lord, have mercy on us. It, they had common desperation. They see Him and they, and they shout out together. There He is! There He is! All of a sudden, all of them, He's their only hope in their misery. They all recognize His unique authority. Jesus Master. He's the Master. Only He can do what they need. Desperate looking to Him and they have this common state of misery. Have mercy on us. David Garland in his commentary writes, the men with this disease were required by the law to separate themselves from others, to live outside the camp and to warn of their presence so that no one would, so they, so they would not convey their uncleanness to others. The common affliction of these men has erased their ethnic differences and like the homeless today, they probably live together to help support one another. It's their misery that they had in common. Their misery overcame their ethnic differences. And my dear friends, that's the state of the world today. Isn't that the state of the world today? Not just leprosy, but our spiritual leprosy has brought us into a world of misery and brokenness. This is the common condition of humanity. Sin and uncleanness is our common condition. We have what? All sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we live in a world that it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, white or black, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, the story in the news. A gunman walks into a gay bar in Colorado Springs and shoots the place up. He walks into a Walmart or in the middle of the night in Idaho in a college town. And we groan and we groan and we groan and the prayer comes up out of our hearts, Lord, mercy this is our common condition we are exiles in this world sin has spread a leprosy in our souls here's the good news Jesus has come to bring the exiles back back to God and gratitude for this creates an expectancy that if he did it for others he might do it for me right that's what's going on here here's the question (laughs) how do these lepers who are confined to this colony aware of jesus i'll tell you somebody came singing the praises of jesus luke chapter 5 there was a leper who cried out lord if you're willing you can cleanse me And Jesus said, I am willing, you're cleansed. Maybe it was that leper. But the streams of sinners and outcasts who were exiled from the Jewish community and were exiled by their diseases, they came streaming along. And the message went even into these out-of-reach places. And Jesus willingly marches right in to such a place. This is not accidental. He is on his way to Jerusalem to deliver grace. And he is on his way here to announce mercy. He has come to do both. Can I ask you a question? It's a tough question, and I'm not asking it lightly, but I'm 
wanting to do this out of mercy, have you felt exiled lately? Have you felt like you've just been cut off? That God has been distant from you? That you're alone in the middle of whatever it is that you're struggling? You see, um, God does some of his best work when we're in exile. What he does with Israel, sends them off into exile so they can think about it. And then they think about it and they go, God, I desperately need you. I desperately need you. And God will send us into places of exile where we stop. We talk about the busyness. I guarantee for some of you, the busyness of the holiday season is meaningless right now you're in exile it's not reaching you at all the the carols the lights the flash the glitter the black friday i've been there become numb to it and you go god have mercy on me that's a okay place to be because he comes to rescue and show mercy to those who are in exile. My dear friends, that's why we have to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. It's because when we sing that God met me in exile, somebody in exile is going to begin to hope, oh, maybe I'm not the only one. Maybe I'm not alone. Maybe if I come to Waterbrook this week uh, and I feel like God is a thousand miles away and they start singing, I can begin to believe that God will actually reach people who feel like they are distant and unheard and, 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 and gone out of the, the, the purview of God's grace. My dear friends, God hears you and sees you and he doesn't leave you. That's why Jesus came specifically to these lepers. Gratitude, gospel gratitude creates an atmosphere of expectancy. Maybe Jesus will have mercy on me. Secondly, gospel gratitude fosters the hope of deep acceptance and community. Listen to this text in 14 and 15, Luke 17, 14 and 15. When Jesus saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. This man was a Samaritan. <laughs> so, quite the scene. But Jesus says to them what a man who has come to fulfill, the Messiah coming to fulfill the Jewish law, has said, you need to go, if you're going to be brought out of exile and re-established in the community, you have to go get declared clean by the priest. He says, go to the priest and, and he's got in his mind, your exile will be over if you go to the priest. And so they begin to go to the priest. But it's not till they actually begin going to the priest that they're healed. He doesn't just heal them, he sends them. And as they're going, they are healed. All 10 of them are healed. Now I want you to just stop and think about this for a moment. One of them stops immediately and does a 180. And heads back to Jesus. The other nine keep going. Why is that? Well, one of the things that's very clear in this text is Jesus is superior to the priests. 
the priesthood. You see, they go to the priest, the priest can't do what they deeply need, right? The, the, the priest didn't have the power to cleanse them. The priest only had the responsibility to declare them clean. As they're going here, Jesus alone, that's why we need Jesus. That's why Jesus is going to Jerusalem. That's why he's come to cleanse us in a way the priest could never do it. They had to offer sacrifices for themselves. They announced them clean when they saw it. Jesus could make you clean. And Jesus was superior to the priests and the priesthood. And Jesus was superior to the temple. For the, for the Samaritan, if he would have kept going towards the temple and got there, would have all the divisions and all the exclusions been gone? No, see, the, the problem is the temple couldn't fully reconcile you either to God or one another. If the Samaritan got to the temple, Jesus says, is there only this one foreigner that returned to give thanks? That word was on the post going into the temple, which is said, no foreigners allowed beyond here. If you went into the temple, there was only one place, the Holy of Holies, that the high priest could go once a year. Then there was an area that only the priest could serve. And then the Jews could only come so far. And the women could only come so far. And then the Gentiles so far. The divisions were all there. There was still alienation that was taking place. But in Jesus Christ, something new had dawned. The walls had been torn down. Jesus was superior to the priests. He was superior to the law because Jesus and only Jesus can reconcile us to God and through God reconcile us to one another the Samaritan returned to the one and the only one who could break down his alienation once and for all listen to Ephesians chapter 2 Paul makes a big deal about this in the text of scripture he says remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision they called these other names by what is called the circumcision, which is made by, in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. What a description. Talk about alienated and separated. No hope without God. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expresses in the ordin- expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who are near. Here's the good news. The mercy of God is you can have peace with God and with one another through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we're celebrating today. Not because of you, not because of your past, not because of your performance, because of Jesus and his blood. That's what we're here to celebrate. To answer that longing in my heart, I am far from home, I am far from God, I'm alone in my misery, my dear friends, no longer. No longer. There is a sweet name that through whom you have been given the right to be called the children of God. What's that name? Jesus. You know, one of the, my favorite things, memories of Thanksgiving was when Marianne's mom was alive 
and uh, we, called her gr- uh, we called her Granny. Some of us called her Granny. Granny was a sweetheart. We would say every once in a while, especially at Thanksgiving, Granny, can you pray? And uh, you could hardly fight your tears when Granny began to pray. She would always start this way. Soft voice. Dearest Lord. And then she was off. Thank you, thank you, thank you. She, she, her heart, her life was in love with Jesus because he was her dearest Lord. That name meant everything. That was, she actually, her favorite verse in the Bible was a declaration that after she was widowed by Marianne's dad passed, she, she, she said, Christ has now become my husband. Everything to her, no longer alone, no longer apart. Dearest Jesus, why do we need to be grateful? for Christ and what he's done because gratitude declares to people that we have been accepted and we're no longer separated and you're not alone and he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't that what we mean? That's why we say, am I one of the nine? How can I be ungrateful? God gave his son. Secondly, or thirdly, gospel gratitude fosters a culture of authentic Worshipful spontaneity. (laughs) And I I say that because watch the reaction of this leper, this Samaritan. See what it says in verse 15? Then one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Jesus encountered this man, and suddenly he turned. And and, and you want to see what repentance is? It means to turn. This man turned not to grovel, but to rejoice and to give praise to Jesus' name. Automatically, all the way back, praising Jesus in a loud voice. Friends, the mission of Jesus is to make true worshipers who joyfully and freely worship God in spirit and in truth. That's what his goal is. That's why he, he wasn't just healing the man's leprosy. He was making him a worshiper. He wasn't giving a, a... The other nine were willing to go because they got the gift they wanted. This man wanted the giver of the gift. He wanted to go back to him. N.T. Wright asked the question, what would make you shout for joy at the top of your voice? What would make you fall on the ground? Yes, flat on your face in front of someone. We need to ask that question. When's the last time you just became overwhelmed with the goodness of God? Notice the direction of the gratitude. He is turned and he's fixed on Jesus. Notice the display of his gratitude. He shouts out with a loud voice. He, I, I can only imagine he's walking around. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And, and, and he didn't care that anybody came, that was listening to him. He was a leper. He was already an outcast, but now he belonged to Jesus. Loud, clear, articulated praise. Friends, that's what gratitude ought to produce in us. So that lepers out there might know that Jesus loves lepers. And sinners out there might hear that Jesus comes in mercy. The degree of his gratitude, he falls down on his face at the feet of Jesus. When's the last time you did that? 
I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm trying to grace you. <laughs> right? Jesus is worthy. Jesus has set you free. Jesus has come to make worshipers in spirit and truth. Isn't it true that the, the woman at the well, when she encounters Jesus, she runs back finally and she announces to her, her fellow citizens in her town, you know, he's, he knows everything about me. You're saying, yeah, we know. We know everything about I, She does not care because it's grace that's sufficient for her. His mercy covered it. You know, when Jesus has done something remarkable in your life, you can't keep quiet. So last night, Marianne and I were over in Excelsior having dinner with friends of ours, and uh, Jim and Deb. And in September to October, Deb's father died and mother died unexpectedly within six weeks of each other. So it's the first time we had seen them. And uh, we sit down at the table, and it didn't take long, where Deb says, can I tell you about my father's death? Which was kind of a unexpected excitement, because <laughs> uh, she was very close to her dad. And she says, so, so we were at home, and the hospital calls, because her dad had broken his leg and gone into the hospital. The hospital calls and says, you better come down to the hospital. Your dad is talking about going to a banquet. So Jim and Deb and Jenny go down to the hospital, and when they get there, their dad is in a, another world. And he said to her a couple of times, he goes, it was a clock, I forget what he called it, but he said, it's at four. There's a timer here, and it's at four. And there's stairs, and I'm not supposed to go up yet. But I'm going to the banquet. And then she stayed with him a little longer, and a little bit later he goes, the timer's changed. Kept going down. It's point five. It's point five. I'm, go I'm going to the banquet. And she says, he knew he was going to die. And he died. And she said, and she was close. Very, she is very close with her parents. She said, I can't tell you what tears of joy were on my face when I drove home from the hospital thinking my dad is at the banquet. <laughs> he knew God had called him. He had spoke. God didn't have to tell me that. He didn't have to do that. But we observed him in that. And, and this is what, what worship does. Worship rejoices uncontrollably, emotionally expressive, unconstrained. She went, she's weeping in the car on the way home, celebrating. She's sitting there eating pizza with us, going, can I tell you what the Lord has done for me? That's what gratitude does in the hardest times. Don't we need that? Won't that help us? An air of gratitude. Here's the other and last thing. Gospel gratitude creates a movement of missional intentionality. I want you to look at this text and see Jesus handle this situation. Verse 17, it says, Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed? Then one of them, sorry, sorry, we're not ten cleansed? 
where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give thanks, praise to God except this foreigner? And then he turned and said to the Samaritan leper, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. That word rise there, commentators say, is the word for resurrected life. And he said, if you were an early church Christian and you read Luke's gospel, you would automatically think resurrection. This man was not just getting up from his healing of physical leprosy. He was getting up risen as a new man in Jesus Christ. And as he came risen in in Jesus Christ, Jesus didn't say, okay, now go back into a commune. He said instead, Rise and go back. And this man entered back into a world of sorrows, back into a world of hostility, back into a broken world uh, with a veil of tears. He went back there. He went there because it is in that world where radically changed people who have genuine hearts of gratitude change the lives of other people when they stop and think, how is it that you can be thankful? When that's what you've gone through or that's what you're going through? And the answer is Jesus. Only Jesus. A couple weeks ago, I met with your husband, Megan, Jason. And uh, I said to Jason, Jason, when, when did God really get the ball rolling for you spiritually? And he said, uh, well, he said we had friends who ran a daycare in Minnetonka and um, their two-year-old son died. So Megan and I went to the funeral. We were blown away because they stood up and gave glory to Jesus. And he said, as we sat there and we were blown away by those people and their sorrow, giving praise to Jesus, he said, we got in the car and we were driving home and we said, we've got to get connected, back connected to those people again. It wasn't in a moment of ease, it was in a world of tears. In sorrow where somebody dares to stand up and say, my hope is is bigger than this life. My salvation (laughs) is greater than my strength. My deliverer has brought me out of leprosy and made me his own, and he will never leave me or forsake me. My dear friends, when we do that in difficult places, watch the Spirit of God work. See, Waterbrook, we need to have a culture of forgiveness. And we need to live in an atmosphere of gratitude. Gospel gratitude. Life change gratitude. And so I need to ask you a question this morning. Are you one of the nine? Jesus will heal you. Jesus will forgive you. Jesus will receive you if all nine of them came running back and said, thank you, Jesus. 
Jesus, every angel in heaven would rejoice over one sinner who repents. We're going to take communion now. And uh, I want you to just spend a few moments, just a moment confessing. If you've been ungrateful, if it's not been the atmosphere of your life, and I want to say this too, um, we need to be aware as a church that it's possible for a church not to be characterized by gratitude. Because the biblical description of the people of Israel as a whole is that they were grumbling and complaining. It's not just an individual struggle. And we as a church have to say, God, would you make us incredibly amazed and grateful and spontaneous and overflowing in our adoration of Jesus? May that be the number one thing about us as opposed to just being like the world, grumbling and complaining along the way. We need miracle for that. We need mercy. Let's, let's pray together. Just prepare your hearts. Um, Gabe will lead us so you can confess sin if you need to. And then, um, then we'll take communion together. And if you're in need of a communion cup, just raise your hand. And uh, Ron, there's some over there. And you can... You know, if it wasn't enough just that we had the word of God given to us that declares the grace and mercy of Jesus, we're given this uh, ordinance to share together, to partake in. Jesus wants you. This is, this is Jesus wanting you to know you're forgiven. Wanting to, you to know that he had his eye on you from way back before the foundation of the world, that he would never let you go and that as you take the bread and drink the cup today, you are participating in his finished work on your behalf, sealed forever by his blood. Is that good news? Uh, he loves you. He delights in you. He upholds you with his righteous right hand. And so I want you to know that today. So friends, this is done in gratitude and praise and adoration in response to Jesus. This bread, uh, Jesus said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us eat with thanksgiving. Sometimes it's hard to even comprehend that our ingratitude required this cross. But you hear Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He had his eye on us and loved us even when we were not looking to him and longing for him. That ought to excite our souls that his love is not conditional and his grace is unending. So Jesus took the cup after dinner and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's drink as we share in the new covenant together. Can you say with me, thank you, Jesus? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about Waterbrook Christian Church located in Victoria, Minnesota, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed day.